Hey, good afternoon and welcome to the Life of an Average Show podcast. I am your host, Brandon Avera. Uh, very happy you guys tune in today. This is a very special episode, uh, one that I've been you know, looking forward to doing for some time and finally uh, is coming together. And you know, when I started this, the Life of an Average Show podcast, I, I knew what I wanted. I knew my, my audience or my mission statement, and I just wanted to tell stories from my life. You know, I have some fun stories. I have some interesting ones. At least I think they're interesting. For a guy that's not famous, for a guy that, you know, I'm not an athlete, I'm not a musician, I'm not an actor, you know, I'm not even one of the biggest podcasts out there yet. I said yet, but, and I just had some stories of, of things that have been, you know, happening to me that have molded me and shaped me in, in the direction that I'm going, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know. And I realized that with this podcast, we can do so much. And I wanted to take it one step further which is why, you know, I've got all these new segments and, and I do trash talk with my buddy, Steve, uh, Steve, geez, I don't know who Steve is, but my buddy, Stuart Sachs, you know, and, and he invited me to do that. And I've, I've, we're helping people, you know, whether we realize or not, we are helping people and we're entertaining them. And entertainment is a form of help, especially these days. But this is why I write, you know, I do the blog and I, you know, some people think that blogs are are outdated or, or overdone. And, and I disagree. I think there's always a place for writing which is why I do toy cars on the nightstand. It's why the book, The Life of an Average Joe, My Life Behind Bars is coming out very, very, very soon because I think there's a place for it. But one of the things that I wanted to do was something for the community, something for humanity, something to give back. And I've done charity events in the past and I've done, I've worked with several charities. You know, I used to do the Big D Climb. I've done work with Camp I Hope. Uh, you know, I've made my donations. Uh, my friends, I've got some friends that have, have some local charities that I try to support. But I wanted to do something besides talk about meeting wrestlers or working at nightclubs or, you know, things like that. I wanted to do something. And one of the things that has always been big to me is working with children. I love children. I do. I love kids, man. I always have. Um, I've always just... I don't know. They just, I've had the patience for them all my life, even as a kid. I remember there's pictures of me as a, as, a, as a kid or a teenager holding my little nephews. You know, most teenagers don't want anything to do with kids unless you're, I guess, a girl and you're thinking about nesting some days. But most guys, you know, not, not so much. I mean, it's just a fact, you know. It's the last thing that's on their mind. It's probably a fear, but it's the last thing that's on their mind. And I've always wanted to do some work. I always thought to myself, if I didn't go down the the path I went down, I'd, I'd, I'd work with children, maybe a teacher or maybe doing something with sick kids. I used to go to the children's medical uh, hospital and, and deal with sick kids on Christmas every year. But I've always wanted to do that. And, and whenever something tragic happens to a child, it hurts. It hurts all of us. But I can tell you right now, when I, when I see stories on the news or I'm, I'm talking to my friends, or I hear, you know, just horrible things that have happened to kids. Man, it hurts me, man. And it hurts me, obviously, even more now because of Luke. But it's always hurt me. It's always got me to stop. It's always got me to, to cheer up or to think about things or, or maybe stop and pray a little, you know. Always, no matter what I was going through in my life, it has always done that. And it, and it hasn't changed. And human trafficking is one of the biggest things out there one of the biggest plagues and pandemics that we can deal with. And it's been going on for so long. And make no mistake about it, it is slavery in its worst. 
And I know what some of you are saying, you know, Brandon, it's a little bit different than slavery. Yeah, I hear you, man, but it's not. It's a form of slavery and slavery in any way should be abolished. And I don't want any sort of trafficking on any level, but especially when it involves children, it breaks my heart. And we all know what that means. Some of these kids are being forced and taken from their homes. Some of these kids are being picked up off the streets because they're homeless. Some of these kids are drug addicts or about to be drug addicts and taken away. Some of these kids are sold by family members, even their bi biological parents into, into human trafficking. And most of it, unfortunately, is sex trafficking. It is completely disturbing. But when you look at the statistics, just to break it down for you, and this is according to the Bureau of Justice, by the way, and this was, this was an old statistic, okay? But this is just to give you an example because I'm breaking it down for you by years. From January 2008 into January 2010, 26% of sex trafficking victims were white. 40% were black. 17% was Asian in the United States. That means that 40% of black children were taken into sex trafficking in two years. That's from two years. And this is not just happening in the ghetto this is not happening in lower income housing projects. This is, this is happy, happening here in Frisco, Texas, Plano, McKinney, Aubrey. This is happening in not just major metropolitan cities across the United States, like New York and Chicago, Detroit, Miami, LA. Don't think that that's not there, but it's happening right down the street. You know, some of the most common venues being connected to sex trafficking, believe it or not, are exactly what you see in the movies. Spa businesses, massage parlors, and of course, porn. They get these girls and boys into pornography. They pull them off the streets. I mean, I read an article and, I, and I'm bouncing around because I, I, I've got a point here, but I'm overwhelmed with this data. I've been researching this for, for months and I have so much data. I can make this a three-part subject here, but I'm going to keep it under 30 minutes because I really just want to get to the point. I was reading this article about a girl. She was homeless, okay? Her family was abusive. She ran away from home. This is horrible. Her other family members, her grandparents went searching for her. This was in L.A., and of course, it might be L.A. proper. It might be the surrounding cities of L.A. But her parents were looking for her at 16 years old. Or not her parents. I'm sorry, her grandparents. And they found all these leads. She was hooked on drugs, whatever. She got hired. This was about, let me look, pull this up this article. This was 2019. It was a year after she was missing. She reached out to her grandparents and said that she was living in this apartment and was hired by a modeling agency. And I throw the modeling agency quotations in the air. Her grandparents went to visit her at this apartment. And it wasn't a great apartment, but she wasn't on the streets. She visited them for an hour before she received a phone call and had to go for a photo shoot. 
She went to a photo shoot. Turns out this was not a photo shoot. She was in pornography, illegal pornography for 16 years old, being sold on the black market, being sold on the dark web and being sold overseas. She never returned from this photo shoot and disappeared. This was 2019. In 2020, a year later after that, a year later, she went missing in 2018. She was talked, she made contact with her grandparents in 2019. A year later, they found her body in Mexico. She had been raped more times than they could count. She had track marks in her arms. And when she went missing, she was 110 pounds. When they found her, she was 70 pounds. I can't imagine the horrors and the tragedies and the violence and just the brutal, disgusting acts that took place for this child or during this time that this child was taken. And make no mistake, she is a child. Her grandparents saw her for the last time they saw her alive. And although they questioned her modeling career, they had no proof. But somebody abused this girl, took her off the streets and got rid of her. And she went without a name. She was gone. She was just another statistic in this horrible, horrible world that we live in. You know, when it happens, it happens close to home too. Like I said, it happens in Frisco. It happens in, you know, and that's where I live. I live right outside of Frisco, Texas. I mean, technically it's not Frisco, but I live in Frisco, Texas. We'll just say that. Frisco, Texas, you don't really think about crime around here, but you could be living next door to somebody that is involved in human trafficking or a victim of it. One of the top, I was looking at the top 10 states so far in 2020. Now, granted, we're not, we're, we're not a month in yet. We're almost a month in. I guess, I guess by the time this aired, it'll be February. So we're a month in. In 2020, out of the top 10 states, number 10 is the state of Texas. The state of Texas is in the top 10 states for the highest rates of human trafficking. And by the way, number nine was my home state of Michigan. In a month, they've managed to do this. Texas has reported in the month of January so far, 1,080 cases of human trafficking. Almost 1,100 cases of child trafficking in the United States were reported in Texas in January. January just ended. We're a month into the year. They said it's some of the highest rates they have seen. And I'm sure with the pandemic and everything that's going on, trafficking has gone up. We are so focused I'm fixing COVID-19 and fixing what's going on with China, human trafficking over there as well, let's not forget, and that we can't even look in our own backyard for kids that are being kidnapped out of their own homes, kids that are being taken off the streets, kids that are being sold. As if you were to go to a store and just buy a shirt and wear it until it falls off, that's what's happening to our children. I mean, you need to think about that. If you have children, 
if you if you know somebody that has children, look at that child, think of their age and imagine them disappearing because I've seen it firsthand. When I was in high school, and, I, and I'm going to leave out some names. I'm going to say them eventually, but I'm going to leave out some names because it's just not relevant right now. I was in high school, and some of you may know this story, and if you do, you know, and you comment or, or whatever, let's leave the names out of it, please. Um, and I'll tell you why. I thought about human trafficking. You saw it on the news. You know, you, you saw these things happen on TV shows. You saw it happen on, you know, back in the day, you know, the Maury Provit show and, 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 and stuff like that, Not 60 Minutes. But you don't realize that they were happening right, right in front of your face. We had a foreign exchange student. We had a foreign exchange student. And she was, you know, she was in my grade, obviously. And I'm not going to tell you where she's from because it'll give it away. But she was obviously overseas, foreign exchange student. You know, we had a lot of those back then. I don't know if they do that anymore. Um, I, mean, I guess I could find out, but I just don't know. But anyway, we became friends. You know, I always thought it was cool to meet somebody from another country that I've never been to and may never go to. And I always thought it was really cool just to hear about them, hear about their life, hear about where they came from, you know, what made them decide to be a foreign exchange student? You know, how did that work out, you know? And they were from Europe, you know, uh, that's all I'm going to say. And she was great. She's a beautiful girl. Uh, we became very close. It was hard uh, at first to understand uh, because of the, the language barrier, uh, but she did speak English, English, and uh, better than me <laughs> now. And, um, but we got along really well. And we went to parties together, you know. I always thought I should have dated her. But anyway, um, I, you know, I'm trying not to put too much humor in here because this is a pretty serious topic. But um, she was with us for a little over a year, uh, maybe two years, actually. I think she re-upped and I think she, she, gra- she did graduate. And then she was going back after the summer, she was going back to where she was from. And I remember she gave me her address, you know, we all had, you know, she had their, you know, senior pictures, you write on the back of your senior picture. And it's like a yearbook, you know, had a great time, don't lose touch, you know, half the time you're going to see these people again. And uh, she, she wrote on the back of her picture, she gave me three pictures, three different poses, she gave me three. And it was a continuation story. And, you know, I just looked at these the other day, actually. Um, right before I decided to do this podcast, I, I wanted to look and, and really just, you know, soak it in on, on what was going on with her. Um, and uh, that's my cat. He just jumped up on me. And um, so anyway, uh, I wanted to just look at the pictures and see what was going on. And I found out that. You know, as I, as I looked, I was trying to put the dates together. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little distracted when I'm looking at my information here. I wanted to put the dates together and, and really see when I lost contact with her. Because I wrote her. You know, this was, this was, you know, you could chat online, you had chat rooms, but you didn't have, you know, I think MySpace came out shortly after that, but you didn't have Facebook, you didn't have Instagram, you certainly didn't text. And if you did text, you weren't texting overseas, that's for sure. Um, so I wrote her. You know, and I, I used to like to write letters a lot uh, to my friends, you know, um, that lived overseas or out of states. And I still think there's something special about that. So I wrote letters to her and she would she would write me back. And it was really cool. Um, you know, I mean, I, it was like a pen pal. And then I stopped hearing from her. And part of that bummed me out a little bit because, 
you know, we were really talking and, and she had planned on coming back to the States one day. I remember her saying that. And of course, back then we talked about visiting each other where I was going to visit her um, over there, which would have been great. And I'd still like to go over there. And hopefully one day in my life, I will go over there. Um, but we talked about that. We talked about doing those things and she just stopped. And I think I had about six letters. I only found six when I was going through all my stuff. I only found six letters, but there could have been more, you know, I could have lost them over time. I mean, this was a long time ago. And I remember writing again, a final letter. And it was about three months. I got a letter back. I wasn't even living at home. And um, maybe I was. Maybe it was longer than that. No, it was longer than that. I remember I was moved out. I was not living at home. And yeah, here's a letter right here. And it was from her parents. It was her mom specifically. And her mom wrote me this letter saying that they have not seen her. And they were hoping to find out some information because they thought that she had gone back to the States to visit some friends, but it had been months and months before they had heard from her or had any contact of anybody who did see her. And mind you, this is a long time. High school was over. I'm living on my own. Months, they said, that since they had heard from her or anybody that had seen her. So I wrote back. Again, not calling, but I wrote back. And at this point, MySpace was up. So I start searching on MySpace. And again, MySpace was not, was not like Facebook. MySpace was still relatively new. You could find people on there, but it, it, it was still not as easy for the, for the average Joe to start finding people through social media. There still was no Instagram. There was only MySpace. There were chat rooms, but you couldn't find anybody through a chat room unless somebody knew them in the chat room. And that's all you could do. Um, so I couldn't look for her. I didn't know what to do. I started reaching out to some people that knew her in high school. And some of you out there that are listening, and I know, I know you know exactly who I'm talking about now. And then I reached out to the person that she stayed with. And she had a number, or not a number, a address of a, of a friend of hers over in Europe. So she reached out to the friend and we started to do all this research and come to find out this girl that I knew in high school said and told her parents she was going to the States to visit some friends and she'd be back in a month. No problem. There was no record of a plane ticket. Couldn't find any. She never made it to the States. But she did get on a train to go to the airport from where she lived. And she never made it on that plane. And they can't, they, there was no ticket purchased. So they thought maybe she just went somewhere else. She wasn't dating anybody that her parents knew of at the time. 
And this went on back and forth for some time. I mean, I wrote numerous letters to the parents. I had my friends that were, that I went to school with that knew her. The girl that she stayed with knew her. We were tracking people down. We started tracking out her friends overseas. And we couldn't find her. It really started to bother me because I was remembering the fun times we had. I remember her you know, partying with us at a bonfire and, and she thought it was one of the coolest things. I remember one time we had a big party in a barn and there were live, live horses. Th there were horses in the barn and we were partying upstairs and she thought it was the weirdest thing that here we are in this barn, drinking beers, hanging out upstairs in a party, you know, partying and there's horses below, you know, it, it's weird to me now, actually. Um, but I was remembering all these things with her and I can hear her voice now to this day. Well, then we started to get somewhere and her parents were, you know, talking with the police. They were talking with the airport security and they were going through footage and cameras to find her. They never saw her at the airport, but they saw her at the train station and she was met by an older man and they walked away together. They saw her get in the car and it looked like she was forced in the car. And this is something I haven't shared with anybody outside my inner, inner, inner circle. So again, to everybody that knows this story out there, and I know there's several of you that do know this story. I, I need you to keep the names quiet for now. Um, and she disappeared by, by forced. It just, that was what I was told that it looked like she was forced in the car. There wasn't a gun, there wasn't a fight or anything, but that's what they perceived. Then everything went silent. I heard nothing. And I tried this for a couple months after that, you know, and I just stopped. Life, life happens, work. I'm a young adult. I'm partying too much. I'm in my own world. I'm not thinking about it. And I remember I got a phone call. I even remember what phone I was using. I remember where I was when this happened. I was living with my buddies, and I'll say their names, Toby and Lee. And I was living with them, and I was on the couch laying down, being lazy. And my Verizon phone, my one of my first cell phones, black. You could text, but you only had so many texts for free, you could say. It's not fair for me to say. They found evidence of where she was. And it was a hotel in another country. Now this another country, and I, I don't wanna, I, I'm, I'm being very vague here for a reason. This other country is very far, okay? It's not the United States of America. It's far away from where her home was, far away from the train station, far away from the airport that she allegedly was supposed to get on a plane on. But they found evidence. She was on camera. Her hair was cut short. She had, she looked different. It was different color hair. And she was with two other girls and two other men. One of the men had been questioned and he'd been connected to human trafficking. That was the last trace that they had of her. They've never seen her again. Unless something happened 
from that time, years ago, you know, 20 years ago, that they found her. And I haven't thought about writing the parents till now because I don't know what to say. I don't know how I'm going to approach them and ask them if they even live there. Because I've tried to search for them on Facebook and I can't find them. But they lost her. And this man had been questioned and he had been questioned to human trafficking, but they couldn't pin anything on him. So the reality is this. She went missing. She was taken. Whether she knew the guy, whether she signed up for something that wasn't the case, like the girl in the story in the article, or she was forced, but she's gone. I couldn't believe it. And it's weighed on me ever since. I remember her birthday. It's just weighed on me. It's bothered me. It's, it's, it's made me sad. It's, you know, I, there's certain things I, I hear, certain songs I hear, and it reminds me of her, man. Somebody I know disappeared. And you know what? It's not the first time. Well, it was the first time. It probably won't be the last time. There are so many people that I've encountered in my life that just have fallen off the face of the earth. And not just because you lose sight or you lose contact with them or you, you know, you're just not friends anymore. Or you move that have just literally just vanished. I mean, I used to have a, a girl that I worked with that she moved around so much that she didn't know how long she was going to be at the job. And one day I came to work, she was gone. Her phone was disconnected and everything. And I've always wondered like, what, like, are you hiding from the police or are you involved in something that you shouldn't be involved in? Meaning like you need help. It's always weighed on me. It's always weighed on me, which is why I am finally starting my nonprofit charity, whatever you want to call it, but it's a nonprofit called Save Us, Don't Slave Us. And it's all because of my friend. And it's all because of the fact that this pandemic, this human trafficking, this child trafficking pandemic is not going away anytime soon. It's not going away by us just sitting here talking about it, doing a podcast about it, by us reading about it and, 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 and casting votes to put in executive orders to stop it. It's not going to go away. We have to do more and we have to do more locally. And that's what I want to talk about. So this is part one of a two-part series that I just decided to make it two parts <laughs> And I just wanted to give you a little backstory before I get into the second part. So tune in, take a break, come on back for the second part. Very excited to talk about it. And uh, even though it's a kind of a disturbing topic, uh, I am really excited to be part of it. And this is a big project for me and I'm proud of it. So tune on in and I will tell you more. Thanks a lot, guys. Like a firefly with fire You were there like a blowtorch burning I was a key that could use a little Hey guys and welcome back to part two of my uh, very important podcast that I'm just going to call it, you know, and I, I wasn't even sure what the name was going to be, but it is Save Us, Don't Slave Us. 
And that's what we're talking about right now. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, I suggest you do. Um, We talk about uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking. What really brought me to this point in my life where I decided it was time to get off my butt and actually do something about it and make a contribution. Uh, Something that I can leave for Luke. Something that, you know, when I'm dead and gone, that he can carry on the torch and, and continue to do so something that I'm, that I'm hoping that by the time I am dead and gone, not to get morbid, but um, that will be big enough that, that he needs help, that he needs a, his whole family and and friends can be a part of Uh, because this is something that as much as I want to say that we can get rid of this disease and this, this horrible thing in our country and really across the world, but in our country that the, I don't know if it's going to ever go away. You know, it's like the war on drugs. It almost seems like a pointless war, but you just got to do the best you can. You know, there's where there's a need and corruption and man, I don't even know the words for it. It's going to be there. Human trafficking is going to be there. But I think we can do something about it. I think that we can not only make a difference, I think we can put a dent in it. And really, it's in our own backyard. And that's why Save Us, Don't Slave Us is so important to me. That is the nonprofit that I'm starting that I'm working with quite a few people on. Uh, We'll have the website up very soon. And we'll have the social media up very soon as well. I realized I was going to put the web, I was going to put the social media up. And I didn't want to do it without a logo. I just, I mean, I thought I could do it and get away with it. And I, I was like, you know what? We're working on a logo. So, um, but that's, that's what I'm working on. And that's a project for me. And if, if you, if just to get you caught up to speed, I just was talking about a friend of mine that went missing over 20 years ago. Um, well, that's when I found out that she was gone and connected to human trafficking. And sometimes I think about, um, I think about the things that happened to her or that could have happened to her. I let the imagination go in places that I don't want it to go. Um, that make me sick to my stomach or, or make me angry or make me sad. You know, there, there's times where I, I think if Luke wasn't here in my life, well, first off, I, I would suck. But if he wasn't here, if, if, in a different realm where Luke was not in the picture, I might go on a, a Liam Neeson type quest to look for her because I'd have nothing to lose. Um, that's how passionate I am about it. But I'm a realist too. I'm 42 years old. I have a son who needs me and I need to raise him to be the example, to carry the torch, to fight for people that don't have anybody else. I need him to carry the torch and fight for people that need protection. And that's why I started this, Save Us, Don't Slave Us, because a lot of organizations out there need your help. I mean, there's so many charities out there and and you can get lost trying to figure out who to donate to, where to go, how do you do it, how do you help? And you know, money is just a piece of the puzzle. It's like I said before when I made this announcement, you know, kicking in doors with SWAT teams and busting heads is great. Looks great on the movies. It looks great in, in real life when it happens. But you and I, the average Joe, chances are we're not going to be able to do that. 
it may happen and then you, you'd be happy about it, but most likely it's not going to happen. It's just not. So we have to do other things and you can donate to charities. There's so many organizations out there that you can donate to both locally and internationally and nationally. But again, if you don't know the behind the scenes of those organizations, where, where do you get your money or where does the money go to? You know, you've got to find it out, you know, and again, money is, is a start, but it's not, it's not all of it. These organizations need food. They need shelter. Think about it. When you rescue these children or adults, but when you rescue these children from that ring, from that hell that they are in, and you're trying to reunite them with their parents or even find out if their parents are alive or what country they belong to or what city, they got to stay somewhere. And those people need money to, to take care of them. They need food and clothing to provide for them. Not to mention the agents on the field that are hunting these people down. Our government can, can give so much money away and they do, but they need more than that. When the United States of America spends more money on an election than it does on fighting human trafficking of its own citizens, we have a problem. When they spend more money on who they pay in Congress than they do in an entire year, of researching and fighting these cases in the United States. That's a problem. And that's where we come in. I want to be able to not only put the money in the right hands, I want to put the resources in the right hands. And I want to start locally here. Texas is on the top 10 list for the highest human trafficking cases in 2021. I think I kept on saying 2020, but 2021. It's just now February. We're a month into the year. And Texas is in the top 10. That doesn't sound like a very good thing. That sounds like a very bad thing. Now people can talk about it. Well, we're so close to the border. Well, that's great. That's no excuse. You know, Michigan is number nine. And they're so close to the border. Ohio, Delaware, California, Florida. The number one state is Nevada. This year. That's embarrassing. We, we, we should not be in that top 10. So here I am in Texas. And I'm looking at it. And in 2019. Okay, this is some data from 2019. There was 1,507 Cases reported in one month. And that month was December. December 2019, 1,507. Out of those 1,507, 1,118 of those cases were sex trafficking cases, while the other 158 were labor trafficking. And then there were 69 of them were both sex and labor. Now, there's some remaining cases. They weren't specified. However, most of those sex trafficking cases were female. 
1,290 were female, 149 were male, and 10 were gender minorities. I'm assuming that means transgender maybe or something I don't fully understand. 1,290 were female. Out of those 1,290 that were female, a thousand of them were 16 or below minors. That means only 290 of them were adults, so to speak. That is in a month. I can't imagine that. Kids just disappearing. Gone. This, these aren't talking about people that they've recovered or have come back. They're gone. They're just gone. Now, that does happen. They do rescue people. Let's not say that our U.S. government and our local authorities don't rescue people. They do. Absolutely, they do. But they need our help. There's so much else on the table for these guys. When you look at our big government, there's so much else they have to deal with. I mean, they're talking about COVID-19 right now, saying at least 90,000 more Americans are projected to die from COVID-19 in the next four weeks. I haven't heard anybody talk about how many kids are gone missing in the next four weeks. They're so focused on covid that they're not focused on anything else. And I'm not saying that they're not doing anything. But that's where people like you and me come in. We can make our donations. We can, But again, it's hard to sit there and figure out what to do. So where do we donate? Well, I want to facilitate that for you. I want to give you guys the opportunity to say, you know what? Save us, don't slave us. I know exactly what they're doing with their resources. I know where they're going. They're open book. They're telling me every step of the way. I want to work with local local agencies here in Frisco, from the Frisco PD to city council to the mayor. I'm going to work with them. I'm going to work with local charities in Frisco and use their resources to navigate and get the financial needs, the the marketing needs, everything, whatever you want to say. If they need money, hey, look, Brandon, we need $3,000 over here in Frisco because we have to do this for human trafficking. Cool. Let's do it. Let's raise that money. We got you. I want to find out. I want to infiltrate those organizations and our community and find out what those needs are. If you tell me you need 15 white t-shirts for kids from some human trafficking thing, guess what? I'm going to attack that. I'm going to get you 15 white t-shirts. I'm going to double it and make 30. And I'm going to work with local artists, local businesses, and we are going to do this. And we'll spread out. We're going to go to Little Elm. We're going to go to Aubrey. We're going to go to McKinney. We're going to go in our backyard, but we're going to start right now, right here, and we'll spread out across Texas. Get us off the top 10. Do something. I want to know that our hard-earned dollars, our work, our efforts, our meetings, our Zoom calls, our podcasts, our communications, our charity events, that they are doing the right thing. When I go to Denton, Texas and do an event for Save Us, Don't Slave Us, I want to know that it's reaching the community. 
Because you don't think for one second that Denton, Texas, in a college town, isn't suffering from human trafficking? Now, when I get my website up, and after I've made the proper contact, I'm going to talk more about my friend that went missing and give more details where she was from, what her name is. But I have to make sure it's okay with the family first. And I don't know, you know, I've been talking to people that have been working with me on it that, that are much smarter than me. And, and they, they told me to wait. So I'm going to wait. But I want, I want them to see. And, and maybe they know. Maybe they know what happened to their daughter. But I know she's not back. And, and if they know that's, that's, that's great and horrible at the same time, I guess. But I want them to know that, that me, Brandon Avera, when I met her back in 1995, I haven't forgotten her. And although it may have taken me a long road to get there and a long journey to get there, I'm going to do something. And she's going to be the face of this organization, as well as all those other kids who have been kicked out on the streets, have been taken advantage of, have been plagued, have been kidnapped, have been sold, have been thrown out like trash. They need to know that somebody's fighting for them. They just busted and rescued. They rescued 32 kids in Ohio a week ago. And they just busted 16 people connected to that. These kids were from all across the country. Now we need to do something better. Those kids need psychological help, medical help. We've got to be there for them. How many kids in Texas have gone disappearing? How many kids in your neighborhood? Because don't think that that's not happening when you're sitting there in your neighborhood where it's got its brand new golf course, brand new pool, and you're sitting in your $500,000 house. Three doors over, that couldn't be happening. You can't forget about it. We can't turn our heads away from this and we can't ignore it anymore. I look at my son. I look in his eyes. And I know, as a parent, fear of losing him in any way, you know, makes me cry now. I have a fear of losing my son. I don't know why, I just do. Because you want to protect him, because you love him so much. And I've never loved anything in my entire life more than I loved my son. I didn't even love my ex-wife that much. <laughs> I mean, I, I did, I loved her, but whatever. Um, not like this. I tell people, and if anybody knows me, they know how true this is. I don't care about anything but Luke. Luke is the only thing that matters to me. Everything else can fall by the wayside. And I say that for really just the purpose of expressing myself. Obviously, I care about my family, my loved ones, my friends and, and work and my health. And my health is 50-50. But I know I need to be healthy so Luke can have his dad. But I think about that. And his face and his blue eyes and, and, and I can hear his voice. And I think about one day if I woke up and what if he wasn't there? I can't imagine what these parents are going through. I could never be in that position. 
I mean, I, what I meant to say is I could never put myself in that position and fully grasp it. I couldn't. I know what it's like when he gets sick. I know what it's like when, when I don't have him around for a day. I can't imagine your life. And her parents, what they went through is something I will never fully understand, which is why I won't say her name and talk about it until I, I figure out how to approach them and get the okay. They might want to bury it and be, and be gone with it and move on. I don't want them to find out someday that, oh my gosh, there's something going on over here. There's a charity and your daughter's name is all over it and they don't know about it. Number one, it's not fair. Number two, there are some legal ramifications you got to be careful with, but it's it's just something we can't we can't look away from anymore, and it, and it it truly is a a real pandemic. Look, COVID nineteen is going to be here. Whatever, it's a virus. It sucks, but eventually we're going to handle it. There'll be a new virus one day. This is not going away. This is not going, going away anytime soon. And really, it's gotten worse. You know, we just had the month of January was Human Trafficking Awareness Month, okay? It was a big deal. It was a big deal. It's, it's National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month or awareness. They tie the two together because guess what? It's a big deal. Now, it wasn't until January 2nd of 2020 that they issued the national, uh, that January was a National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. So it's the 20-year anniversary of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. That was under Trump's watch, by the way, that, that he declared that. doesn't matter. I don't care who the president is, but whatever. Um, I'm just saying that because that's at least one positive thing, right? But it's a big deal. And I've seen a lot of people around Frisco. Frisco Police Department has been very much involved in this, and it's been great to see. I just hope they don't stop it. There was a virtual event a couple days ago in Colorado Springs, I, I wanted to get on it and I just couldn't get to it. Um, it's, 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 a, it's called the Exodus Road. It's a nonprofit uh, profit organization that's fighting human trafficking and their headquarters is in Colorado. Uh, but they're on a big lab. They're, they're, these are big boys, okay? So they deal with local police in Latin America, India, Thailand, and all that. And what they do is they facilitate training, investigation, and rescue missions, and the arrest of traffickers. So they're focusing on Liam Mason. That's great. But I want to eventually work with those guys to battle it in Texas. And I can do it. And it starts here. It starts by making you guys aware of it. It starts by not just saying something's going to happen and not doing anything about it. It starts by actually following through with it. And we've got to do it. You know, we are the last line of defense. We cannot rely on big government, okay, to just come in and fix it for us. Now, I have somebody who said, hey, 
Do you think it's weird that they found 33 missing children during the human trafficking month? No, I don't. That was on their agenda. They found it. It was in Ohio and they found 33 children, actually 31 children in Ohio, 33 children in Los Angeles on January 22nd. That investigation, which is called Operation Lost Angels, started on January 11th and it ended on the 22nd and they recovered 33 children and 18 of them had been sexually exploited. That's horrible, horrible. Two of the children that were recovered were recovered twice, which means they had been recovered once and stolen again. They were on track, which is a common term that's used to describe a known location for sex trafficking. Twice. So they were saying because of this mentality and the brainwashing, it's not very uncommon for victims to, to be rescued and then return to sex trafficking. Typically by force, voluntary, believe it or not, it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome, fraud or coercion. Most of these kids were missing at some point in their life. It's just me. It's a dude. Some of these people are in high places. Just look at it, Jeffrey Epstein. The fact that we don't know more about him and more about the people that he was connected with and more about the people that he trafficked is insulting. Now, you can say that the government is covering it up or they're keeping it hush-hush because they're under a big investigation. That's fine. And I believe part of that. But there's no way that the people, that the names that have been dropped aren't behind bars yet. That's embarrassing. But these guys don't just look like some scumbag tatted up on the face, no teeth, Russian mafia. Some of these guys look like your teacher, your boss, somebody you work with, your neighbor next door. You have no idea. You can't judge, but you can look out for signs. Watching people is huge. If you know people that don't have a lot of possessions, maybe don't have a lot of stuff in their house, moved into the neighborhood, you don't really see them go in and out. No, they have kids, but you don't see their kids going in and out. The kids are homeschooled. I'm not saying that every homeschool kid out there is being trafficked. Maybe, maybe your son or daughter has a friend, but you can never go to their house. They never go to their house. They can never come over. They can only see them in school. They can't talk on the phone. They move around a lot. There's signs you have to look for. Signs of abuse, physical, mental. How do they dress? How are they bathed? How are they groomed? You can go online and look these things up. And I'm telling you right now, something like that could save somebody's life. Because the minute they are put out in there, they're on the track, they're put into the system of human trafficking, they're gone. They're gone. And if they come back, 
they never come back from that. I'm not saying that kids can't get help and that we can't correct them and give them a good life. There are so many testimonials, positive testimonials from kids that have been rescued. But to take their little souls away, their innocence away like that, and we could help, it's sinful. So that's what I'm here to do, guys. Uh, sorry this was an intense episode or intense two episodes, but uh, I just wanted to bring this to your attention. I wanted to talk about it, and I wanted to tell you that you can look very soon to see more details from Save Us, Don't Slave Us coming real soon. Uh, we'll have the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter. Um, we are going to get back on track with that charity event, uh, which is what I was supposed to do in the fall, and I decided to turn it into my own charity. So we're going to do that. Uh, I'm going to uh, definitely be talking more about this and, and I'll keep you guys updated. Uh, once I get, I don't know, approval or we figure out how we're going to handle the situation, I really would like to talk more about my friend who went missing and, and give you her name and, and, and some more history behind it. I, I just wanted to be vague because, like I said before, I think it's important to, I guess, get permission. Um and talk to the parents first. And we're working on that. We're working on that. I, like I said, I have smarter people than me, <laughs> whether they're lawyers or city council that have uh, instructed me to just maybe not say that. So I'm not going to right now. But I am very excited about this. And um, it's a touchy subject and, and nobody likes to talk about it. But if we don't talk about it first, then it's, it's just going to grow and fester like a cancer. And the only way we can do it is is to start in our own backyard and piece by piece, we can build it. We can make a better place, you know? And I do believe that it's our duty as, as human beings to, to take care of each other and give back to the world. And I do believe it's, it's, it's in our best interest. We have to set the example for our children and set the example for our friends and neighbors so they can see. Yeah. Brandon's crazy. He talks on a podcast and he loves craft beer and music and, a smart aleck and blah, 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 blah. You know, that's pretty much all accurate, but there's another side of it. And, and that's what I want to do. So this isn't about me uh, at all. This is a, a, about the children. And I feel that calling inside me. It took me a long time to get here. So, um, and really I got to thank COVID for it. You know, when you, when you lose all your jobs and uh, you have time to be at home and, you know, over the summer and, and you spend all that time with, you know, my son, like I, like I do, you start to think about things and you really just, you don't have nothing but time. And when you don't have nothing but time, things get done. Look, I got the book finished. I got the blog. I got <laughs> multiple podcasts now and a charity and it, it's worth it. So um, I'm hopefully that we can, we can do something together. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. I got to get out of here. I appreciate you guys for listening. And uh, please uh, give me your thoughts. Give me your comments. Uh, you can email me. You can post right on Anchor, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Text me. I want to hear from you guys. And I thoroughly, thoroughly thank you for your support and continued support as we move into this next venture. So, all right, guys. Have a good one.